Welcome to episode two of the Between the Mics podcast. I'm one half of your team, Ty Ferguson. I'm the other half, Austin Smith. And we are coming to you today to break down all of the big storylines from the University of Georgia's recruiting class that finalized a few weeks ago. Uh, When you really look at this year's recruiting class for Georgia, uh, you look at the 24-7 rankings, we finished another number one class. Kirby Smart really blew it out of the park again. Um, For Georgia, that's two out of the last three recruiting national championships, if you will, uh, on 247sports.com. So, I mean, another great year. I'm really looking forward to it and really excited about this year's class. You're really giving a lot of uh, opposing fan bases uh, a lot of ammo to work with right there when you say recruiting national championships. They already feel like we're counting those as national championships. It is what it is. What it is. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, I do think uh, that this was another impressive get by Kirby, obviously getting the number one class. What I, I think stands out to me is the amount of out-of-state talent feel like the last few years there's been a priority on locking up the in-state talent making sure that I feel like when Mark Rick was here uh, whom I love uh, a lot of opposing coaches would come in and get some of the top talent in the state and we would get a lot of like the really good uh, guys but there was people coming in and getting these five stars uh, right out from underneath our noses I think that was Kirby's number one priority and now that he's kind of settled that in and we've been able to establish that it seems like he's broadened his scope and now our top overall recruit this year is from all the way out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So that's really been the number one thing that set out to me in this class. And I think also the fact that we didn't have a ton of recruits. This was really just – we've gotten to the point where we can be selective now and we're only going after the top guys. Uh, I think when compared to the other top ten recruiting classes, we have significantly less recruits than a good bulk of them, and it's just how talented those guys at the top are. Yeah, I agree. I I like what you said about what the recruiting has changed since um, Kirby Smart took over from Mark Rick a few years back. Kirby really came into Georgia knowing how much of a talent-rich state we live in and Georgia plays in, and he had to make it a priority to see players like Trevor Lawrence, uh, Deshaun Watson, players like that have been growing up in the state of Georgia who have been going to these other programs. Um, it's something that you can't have when you live in a state. It's really, really important that Georgia was able to lock down the borders uh, and really control recruiting in the state so that players like that don't go to schools like Clemson and play for them, that they come play for Georgia and really take pride in it, that they're playing for their home state. Yeah, I would agree that that was a really uh, important priority for Kirby on, uh, for Kirby early on in his tenure. And I think that was a smart move on his part because, like you said, Georgia is such a talent-rich state. And unlike the other talent-rich states, we don't have that many schools actually competing within our state. Like Florida, you've got Florida State, Florida, Miami, Texas, you've got all the Texas schools. California, you've got all the California schools. Louisiana, I think LSU is the only other school that has the the same advantage that we do. We're having that much in-state talent without that many schools within the state. I know that there's these surrounding schools that have uh, the ability to go, but I really think it's a, a distinct advantage to be able to be the only school within the state that really has a top recruiting uh, advantage. I know Georgia Tech is improving in that regard, but I don't think they're there yet. Yeah. Jeff Collins has definitely stepped it up a little bit at Tech from where they were with Paul Johnson. They're in the, I think they're in the 20s this year in recruiting class rankings, not down there in the 80s like Paul Johnson had. But when you have a triple option offense like he did, of course, they're not going to recruit because 
players don't want to go play in that offense. Um, I really liked another point that you made when you talked about the broad national scope that Georgia's really put on their recruiting. Um, when you look at also look at schools like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, teams that have won national championships here recently, when you go up and down their rosters, they're not they're littered with guys all over the country, elite level talent that they can go recruit because they are a national brand and players around the country see these teams playing on the big stages and want to go play for these schools because they're playing on a national level. I think when you look at Georgia's recruiting class, like you said, the number one player on the class is from Arizona, when Keely Ringo. The number two player in the class is from Nevada and Darnell Washington. You look at this kind of stuff, and when pulled five kids from Florida, which I know it's a border state, but like you also mentioned, you have to compete with Miami, Florida State, and Florida. When you go into Florida and pull five-star kids out of Florida, it's still an accomplishment of its own. So, I mean, seeing Georgia really step it up on a national level just shows you the type of brand and type of program that Kirby Smart's building in Athens. Yeah, and, and this all inevitably leads to the question of how much do you think recruiting matters? Uh, you see Georgia fans typically get a, a lot of hate for celebrating our recruiting, uh, as you would say in the beginning of the podcast, national championships. Uh, but when a lot of other schools say, you know, certain comments like 1980 or uh, chastise us because we haven't – we're getting all these recruits, but we're, you're not seeing a national championship. Disregard the fact that we are getting into playoff and winning SEC East and getting to the SEC championship. But how much would you say that it matters in today's college football landscape? I, de- I definitely think it matters, and it matters a lot. Because, I mean, you don't see schools in the – 50 in their recruiting rankings winning national championships. Um, You look at recruiting rankings year in and year out, and like I mentioned with those national brands, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, year in and year out, those schools are in the top 10, arguably the top five when you look at Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama, um, year in and year out in recruiting rankings. And there's a pretty good correlation between those schools being so highly ranked in recruiting rankings and turning them into production on the field. Um, those schools have won, I think, what, like the last six national championships. So Yeah, excluding the, excluding it, this year with LSU, yeah. who's all, always also in Who, the uh, yeah, like, like, top ten recruiting-wise. So, I mean, recruiting definitely matters. You, you have to be able to develop it to a certain extent. But, I mean... When you have the best players and you recruit the best players, you're going to win on a higher level if you're recruiting over the competition. Who, If you're bringing in all the good players, you're going to win. So, I mean, it definitely matters. Yeah, I mean, those top five classes, like you said, uh, the Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, I think we've cemented ourselves as a perennial top five recruiting uh, powerhouse as well. I think those are all pretty, pretty similar. Most of the time you're not going to see much of a difference between the first-ranked team, so like us this year, and then, like, who was fifth this year? Uh, Ohio was it LSU? State. Ohio State. Ohio State. So I really don't think there's that much of a, a jump between us and Ohio State in, in those classes. No. But once you do get outside of that, and even once you get to something like 10 and 11, I do think you start seeing a, a sharp drop-off because I think the reason our ranking is so high is because of those five stars. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, I don't think there's that much of a difference between, like, maybe one and five or maybe one and six. But it definitely matters. 
And if for anyone to pretend otherwise, I think would honestly be pretty naive. If you look anything online, anything from 24-7 or any like uh, reputable source, it shows a negative linear correlation between your recruiting statistics and your uh, number of wins, your likelihood to win a national championship. And, you know, people always point out people like Aaron Rodgers who are succeeding in the NFL when really the conversation is about your success in in actual college football. But even if you want to speak on the NFL uh, side of things, 24-7 has an article showing the correlation between being a five-star and your likelihood to get drafted. And I think they looked at the 2017 class and the 2013 classes. There was like a 60% chance like mid 60 percent chance of a five star to get drafted in the nfl and then once you get to like three stars which people always like to point out i feel like that's their go-to is they mention all these three stars even though there's about 1500 three stars given and there's only 32 five stars given mm-hmm. uh, so you have a much higher chance like you have a much higher pool to draw from but there's only like a five percent chance that those guys are going to get drafted so these are just talking points that i feel like people regurgitate when they're not really looking at the statistics. And people always like to point out with us, especially, that coaching is what matters and how you coach this talent. Well, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I mean, but if you're going to have the same coaches, if you're getting the 30th ranked class, as you are if you're getting the first ranked class, let's say Kirby sucks, like all these other opposing fans are saying, wouldn't you much rather have this bad coach coaching the first ranked class than the 30th class? You're getting the same coach either way. I want the top talent. And that mm-hmm. goes the same with a good coach. You hear about how good of an in-game coach Dabo is or Dan Mullen is. They're going to be that same good coach whether they have the 30th ranked class or the first ranked class. I bet you that they would prefer to have that first ranked class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really do think that a lot of the hate that Georgia gets is – People haven't really gotten used to Georgia being a national brand. Of course, we've always been a national brand. I don't know if that's exactly how we should say it, but we've really taken the next step. Yeah, but we're not a traditional blue blood. Yeah, like we're not we're not seen in the same light as Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. Alabama, Notre Dame. Like we've always been, you know, a well known team. But I would consider us more in line traditionally with like an LSU. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a good that's a good comparison. I think a lot of it has to do with just rivals and people around the country not wanting to put Georgia on that pedestal. Um, Obviously, they've seen us in the the spotlight here the last few years in the SEC championship game against Bama, the SEC championship game against LSU. One was a blowout. One was a a choke. They've seen us in the national championship game where we choked away the lead against them. And when you when your program is in the spotlight like Georgia has been, and on the national level when you look at those games and you see us either get blown out or not performing to close out games, it puts a bad rep on your team. They and no one wants to give you the credit. They say, oh, they're going to Georgia just so they could lose to Bama again, or they're going to Georgia just so they can choke and not win even though they're expected to. I mean, I think it's. It's tough to shed that label, but I do think with number one recruiting classes and bringing in top talent, something's got to give at some point. I think that's a really good point because those games that you're mentioning, for the most part, those are the only games that opposing fans are watching. So they're not getting to see these games within the season. Like someone who lives in Oklahoma, they're not tuning into that many Georgia 
South Carolina games. They might watch the Georgia-Florida game. They might watch the like next year when Georgia opens with Clemson. They'll probably watch that game. But they're not watching these games during the season. The only game they're watching is the ACC championship or that national uh, championship choke to Alabama. So those are the things that they have in mind when discussing us so they don't really know the other games throughout the season. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think another thing that gets held against us is people say Kirby can't develop talent. And I think the people who say that are really only – I think they're regurgitating things that they're hearing. Uh, But I also think they focus too much on the offensive side of the ball. If you look at the defensive side of the ball, Kirby's developed talent like crazy. Uh, I mean, I think you were mentioning to me the other day something about uh, wasn't Eric Stokes a three star, and then like he's probably going to be, I mean, first day draft pick, I would say maybe second day. Yeah, he, he had a chance to come out this year and go round two or three. You have to think he'll only get higher next year with another year under his belt. Yeah, and and also this is you haven't seen that much of Kirby's people that he drafted enter into the NFL yet. The first. So the national championship year, those seniors who were leaving, those were the last bit of Mark Rick's class. Mm-hmm. So you haven't really had the chance to see too much of Kirby's finalized product going into the NFL. Yeah. Um, so when you really look at this year's class as a total, always I always want to start with early enrollees just because they're the guys that are on campus. They're the guys that are working out with the team right now. Um, and arguably, most of the time, they're the guys who you would believe have the inside track to early playing time just because they're working out with the team and they're going to get to go through spring practice and have a, a leg up on the rest of the class and just learning our Georgia system. So you look at this year's early enrollees, and you've got Kendall Milton, Jalen Kimber, Major Burns, Carson Beck, Justin Robinson, and Warren Brinson. Um, a guy that I'm really excited to see out of that those six people uh, is Kendall Milton. Obviously, we lose DeAndre Swift to the draft this year. A lot of people think he's going to be a day-one first-round draft pick, and rightfully so. Um, He's been awesome for Georgia the last three years, everything we wanted him to be and more when we recruited him out of Philadelphia. But you look at a guy like Kendall Milton, uh, 6'1", 215-pound running back, another guy we recruited nationally, brought him all the way from California, literally bringing him across the country to play for Georgia and running back you, a guy who I could see stepping in and getting some carries, Uh, later on in the season probably, um, but arguably could provide a big impact for Georgia um, when you look at the stable of backs that Georgia has, and he could very well fit into the rotation. Yeah, how do you think he'll fit within that uh, hierarchy? I mean, Zamir is going to be the lead back. Do you think he's going to be kind of splitting the, like, number two role with James Cook, kind of like a thunder and lightning as, I mean, the cliche goes? So I would think it would be Zamir and James, arguably day one against Virginia, you have to put Kenny McIntosh in the rotation. He had a pretty I mean, pretty impressive game against Baylor, and when he's given the opportunity, he's a hard runner. But I feel like Kendall Milton would slot somewhere in that four range to start the year, um, depending on uh, probably like obviously attrition. You never know how injuries are going to go. You never know in this game of football. I mean, we could have injuries before the season starts. Obviously, we don't want that, of course, but you never know what's going to happen. So... I think Kendall Milton's role will probably be later on in the season. When you have that attrition, you have guys getting tired legs. Probably when we get towards the Tennessee game in November is when I could really see him really getting a big impact just because it's the dog days of the season, getting towards the final push to the last quarter of the season, if you will. Um, 
I think there's a good chance for him to be maybe our short yardage back in a in a lot of situations. I know Zamir is a powerful runner, but everything you see from Kendall Milton's highlights, it seems like uh, that's really his type of game. It doesn't look like – now, I mean, I, this is just going off of my eye test and anecdotal, but it doesn't seem like he has insane speed by any means. He doesn't uh, seem like he's as fast as maybe what Zamir, Kenny, or James are. It seems like he's more of the, the power guy. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what I would see him fitting in. Not to say that I didn't see him break away from high school football <laughs> players. I know he's fast compared to them, but I'm just saying in the college football game. Yeah. A lot of people I've seen when given comparisons, especially around Georgia beat writers and Georgia articles, a lot of people think he could compare to Nick Chubb. And, I mean, when you're talking about a running back at Georgia and you're giving comparisons to Nick Chubb, arguably – Probably the second best, third best running back Georgia's ever had behind Herschel and maybe Todd if you want to put him above Nick. When you're getting compared to Nick Chubb, that is some high praise and it's something that leaves a, some big shoes to fill and it's a tough comparison, but if he can live up to it, I mean, you have to be excited. Okay, maybe he's faster than what I thought then because like <laughs> Nick is like a like an elite sprinter. Uh, yeah. I think he had the fastest uh, recorded time in the NFL this year. Yeah, this I think year he did. I think it's at least top five, and I think that breakaway run against Baltimore earlier in the season. Yeah. So going into next part of the class, um, we're not going to break down everybody, but what we did want to do is really give superlatives when looking at the class. Um, so we broke them down: playing early, high ceiling, high floor, biggest need, and who we're personally most excited to see out of this year's class. So when I look at my player to start off that I'm really looking to play early at Georgia this year. Um, it's the six foot seven and a half inch, 260 pound tight end out of Nevada, Darnell Washington. Uh, Darnell is someone, when you look at six seven, 260, you really think he should be playing offensive guard, uh, not tight end. He runs a four seven five forty four four six shuttle. That is elite speed for a tight end position and it's someone that I could see providing major major matchup problems for opposing defenses for years to come in the SEC Um, I really think Darnell has a great shot when he arrives in June to take over the tight end room just because there's not a whole lot of depth obviously you have John Fitzpatrick um, Brett Seether guys like that Trey McKitty the transfer from Florida State but no one's a game-changing type of athlete just from um, measurements-wise like Darnell. So it's someone I'm really excited about, and if he has a strong summer and strong fall camp, I could really see him being out there play number one versus Virginia come September 7th. No, I think that's a, I think that's a really good pick. Uh, I, I, I toyed a lot with maybe having him in mind, but I'm actually going to save Darnell for uh, one of our other categories. The guy who I think is going to make a, an immediate impact besides Darnell uh, would be Justin Robinson. I know he wasn't as highly touted as some of these other receivers that we have coming in, but he's a big wide receiver. He's an early enrollee, which I, I don't think can be uh, overstated enough. I think that gives him a little bit of extra time to maybe gel with Jamie Newman that these other incoming receivers aren't going to have. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I already mentioned he's a big he's a big guy. He's six foot four. Uh, all the uh, Things I've read says he has really good hands, uh, and I think he's fitting into a position where we don't have much of a hierarchy at the at the moment. It's like George Pickens is number one, and I think Demetrius is probably going to be the guy on the other side. But I don't think he. I mean, 
from the playing time that he got last year, I don't think that that's a, a lock. I know Blaylock's going to be there as well, but I really think that if you have a good spring, that you would have a chance to enter into a lot of early snaps early in the season. And something else that you know is always really big uh, with Kirby, he has to be a good blocker. He came from uh, uh, like a heavy running scheme in, in high school. So we know how important that is to Kirby. You're not going to see the playing field if you're not a good blocker, despite the fact that we don't run to the outside. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that might be something that might get him some playing time too, is the ability to block on the outside. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in years past. Guys like Demetrius Robertson, who has elite sprinter-level speed, doesn't see the field because he struggles at blocking, even though sometimes you – grit your teeth because Georgia doesn't run the ball to the outside. Yeah, and he was an All-American at Cal, and he was yeah. uh, like tore it up in high school. So, yeah, you're frustrated that he's not on the field. <laughs> yeah. I don't see what goes on in practice, but, I mean, he was an All-American before. so Yeah. One can only hope it, uh, it translated the next season. Um, so the next category we have is highest ceiling. Uh, who, the person who I think has the highest ceiling in this year's Georgia recruiting class is the highest ranked player in this year's Georgia recruiting class, and that is Keely Ringo, the six foot two, two hundred and five pound corner out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, when you look at the measurables for Keely Ringo, six two, two hundred five corner, that's a big dude. That's a big dude to put on the outside, even playing in the SEC. You look at his um, hundred meter time, ten point five eight. So you know he's got speed. He's got size. When you have that kind of size in the SEC, when you're working with strength programs like we're going to have at Georgia, he'll put strength on. Someone I project who would be able to jam receivers at the line of scrimmage and really cause quarterbacks in the SEC and offenses in the SEC a lot of problems, being able to stay with fast guys, but being able to also be big enough to put his hands on bigger wide receivers in the SEC and guard all types of players. Um... He was a defensive MVP at the Army All-American game, which a lot of people look at to be the greatest of the postseason high school All-American games just for the sheer level of talent and the history of the alumni that have played in that game. So it's impressive when you look at those stats. It's impressive when you look at his measurables. And it's impressive when you look at his player comp, who is Xavier Rhodes. He's a pretty good player for the Minnesota Vikings the last few years. A few times he's made the Pro Bowl. So when you compare to an NFL player like that and your projected future first-round pick um, and you're going to be playing for an amazing defensive guru like Kirby Smart, a guy who is known to really develop defensive backs in his time in Alabama and his time at Georgia so far, you have to be excited and you have to really think that Keely Ringo is going to be the next in line to take over the corner spot when we lose Eric Stokes to graduation next year. Um and just the future attrition at that cornerback position in the future. No, I, I definitely think he's actually going to see the field this year uh, opposite of Eric Stokes. I, I don't – I'm not – that's the position on defense, that other cornerback slot that I'm the least confident in going into the season. Uh, this is about to start what looks to be a suspicious habit of choosing my players that you just – you touched on Darnell for your biggest media impact. He's my high ceiling. And uh, Keely's actually going to be the, the person for my next – category but I promise this wasn't intentional <laughs> I'm not just copying what you're saying uh, so for my high ceiling like I said I have Darnell Washington for all the reasons you just mentioned uh, prior insane athleticism 
and something that's important to me that really probably doesn't mean that much, he's a basketball standout. I think that means so. I think to be a multi-sport athlete is very important, no matter what sport it is. But in tight ends, you constantly see this correlation. It seems like between being a good, like probably like a power forward esque player in in high school, and then going on to succeed at the tight end position in college and the NFL. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. I mean, the boxing out, uh, the fluid control that you need of your body in basketball, uh, and then just footwork, I feel like, uh, and then just the ability to, to shield and then having soft hands, uh, which they probably get from uh, rebounds. Yeah. So I really think that that's like... That's probably something I'm building up too much in my head, but I think that that's actually uh, something that's going to help him a lot in college. No, no, I definitely think that's a, a really valid thing to say. I mean, basketball, I mean, when you look at history of players in the NFL, it definitely translates. I mean, the greatest tight end of all time, Tony Gonzalez. I mean, basketball player at Cal. Um, you look at Jimmy Graham, tight end for Antonio the Packers. Gates. Antonio Gates. I mean, you go down the line and you're going to continue seeing these guys who were double sport athletes and they played basketball it definitely teaches you body position um and it definitely teaches you like you said to be fluid fluid route runner but when you look at a guy like darnell i mean he's a big enough dude he can put his hands on you and, and block you so, I mean, well yeah, yeah i mean and getting rebounds is all about like you know hand eye uh anticipation and then uh just timing you know those are all things that are invo- like important when like catching football and then like you know you're boxing someone out for a rebound you you carry that skill in shielding, uh, especially in the red zone. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that beyond just I didn't want to just mention all the athletic things like you uh, like you'd already went over. Obviously, he's going to be a matchup problem. He's going to be too fast for linebackers. He's probably going to be too big for safeties. And I wouldn't be surprised if early on in the season, when Jamie Newman's trying to get comfortable in our offense, if he seeks out. Darnell simply because of his size, and I think that can be a nice safety blanket for incoming quarterbacks. Yeah, Darnell's definitely a dude I'm, I'm really excited about. I definitely see him playing early for a multitude of reasons. Um, when we move on to our next category, our highest floor, um, my choice for this, this selection is a guy who really came on later on in his recruitment. A lot of people didn't know who he was early on, but that's Jalen Carter. Um, five-star defensive tackle from Florida. Another guy, like we said, it's a running trend with this recruiting class that arguably some of the most important pieces are from guys outside the state of Georgia. Every guy I've mentioned so far, Nevada, Arizona, and Florida. Three huge guys who's going to be important for Georgia going forward. And I definitely think Jalen Carter has the lowest floor of all of them. The guy, like I said, he came on strong later in his recruitment, didn't get his fifth star until after his impressive performance in the Under Armour all-American game but you look at his measurables six foot three 300 pounds future projection to be in the first round with a comparison to Deron Payne for the Redskins at his worst I feel like Jalen Carter could be a serviceable defensive tackle for Georgia a guy who can stuff the run on first down but could arguably line up at the end slot on passing downs and really put pressure on opposing quarterbacks and in this day and age of pass happy air raid offenses you can never have too many pass rushers and that's something i'm super excited to see jalen carter do in the future yeah well something else important to note another basketball player (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like like i said there's just a correlation that i'm seeing 
so the guy I chose for my highest floor, like I said, is uh, it's going to be another repeat of what you, who you just had. But I want to have Keely Ringo here. I just the reason I have him for my highest floor, I really just don't see how he how he won't succeed. I feel like he's the complete package. Uh, like I said, I think he's going to compete for playing time this year just because of how much talent he has. He's long. He's fast. He's physical. Uh, apparently, everybody has noted his uh, competitive nature. And then I just I, I have an affinity for uh, physical what, uh, cornerbacks just because I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. And uh, in our heyday, that was kind of like what we were known for. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's something that can set you apart in college football, that like ability to jam at the line. But he's still so fast that – if he gets burned off that, he can still keep up. And uh, and also, I've also seen that he has incredible ball skills in his highlights. It looks like he, I mean, he could have played wide receiver. So I just really don't see when you have all of those things how you can't succeed. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up having uh, the highest ceiling, like you said. Mm-hmm. But I just really, I don't see how he couldn't come in and just, I think he could not work his way into being like a B-plus player. I hope so. I, I definitely like what you said about him being having a chance to play early because when you have a talent like Keely Ringo, if he gets on the field early, I mean, when you look at guys that, in the past at Georgia who have played early at that spot, obviously you have Eric Stokes, you have Brandon Boykin, who is an all-SEC player, you have DeAndre Baker, who went first round of the Giants last year. There's definitely a correlation of playing early and development, and when you look at DeAndre Baker and Eric Stokes, how they played under Kirby He's turned those dudes into all-SEC, all-American-type cornerbacks, and I feel like he's going to do the same thing for Keeley. So I'm super excited to see him once he gets on campus with Kirby, once he's working with um, the position coach day in and day out, working on his craft, getting in the weight room, getting bigger, getting faster with our strength and conditioning program. It's definitely a bright future for him, and I could definitely see him having the highest floor. But I, I just think his ceiling's too high to not put him in that category. Yeah. So When I look at my biggest need, it's a guy who we signed on signing day, February the 5th, and that's Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones, he was a long, he's been a long-time Georgia commit, um, but he kind of wavered in his commitment once Sam Pittman took the job at Arkansas. Um, later, Late in his recruitment in January, he visited Arkansas. Um, he visited Illinois, but, I mean, let's be honest – five-star offensive tackle from the state of Georgia. Did anyone really think he was going to play for Levy Smith? Did anyone think he was going to go play for Illinois? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't think so. But when he, the biggest threat to him down the stretch really was Auburn. Him being from middle Georgia, he, I mean, he was kind of close to Auburn. But his last official visit to Georgia back in January was really what set it apart for Georgia. It's what kind of locked up the recruitment and led him to actually cancel his official visit to Auburn on the last weekend of the recruiting season, which really tied the knot for Georgia and helped us keep darn Broderick Jones in this year's class, which is why I think he's my biggest need. When you look at the attrition we're having this year at tackle, obviously Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, they left early for the NFL. You look at Cade Mays, transferred to Tennessee, so we had an outflow of tackles in this year's cycle, and that's definitely what I see Broderick correlating and translating into at the next level. I think he is made to play left tackle. I don't think he'll play it right away just because I think the difficulty of edge rushers and the position itself in the SEC 
I wouldn't want to see a true freshman guarding the blind side for a quarterback who, for a team who has national championship aspirations as Georgia does. I wouldn't mind seeing him at right tackle if it came down to it. Andrew Thomas obviously started at right tackle as a true freshman in the national championship. I think Broderick Jones could do the same. I could also see him redshirting. But I think locking down his recruitment and holding on to him and also signing the number two tackle in Tate Ratledge is really what helped put the icing on the cake for this year's recruiting class to me. And it was a must-get. It was a must-have. And I'm super happy that Kirby Smart was able to lock this one down. And you really have to look at Matt Luke and give him a ton of credit. Building that relationship late and doing what he did to be a part of the recruitment. Yeah, it was like reminiscent of... uh what Kirby did with Jacob Eason, I feel like, and having like a, a like to catch up and try to like save this commit uh, so he doesn't go to a, an opposing rival. But I would agree that he is like a super big need because we did lose so much talent uh, at the offensive line this year. I'm glad that we do have, like you said, the ability where he doesn't have to play uh, right off. But I do think it would it definitely wouldn't surprise me if early in the season when we're uh, trickling out some different combinations if he sees the field and uh, maybe that game against Virginia or some of these other, you know, lower-level competition yeah. to get ready for uh, week three against Bama. Uh, <clears throat> I went for my biggest need. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm following up what you had for the last category. I have Jalen Carter. Uh, I think with us leaving five guys – or with us losing five guys off the uh, defensive line, I just think in a guy, getting a guy like him – uh, just can't be overstated enough. Uh, he's super athletic, uh, like you already touched on. Basketball background, like I already touched on. Had a nasty windmill dunk that was like all over Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so he's very fluid, very coordinated, and everything I see is uh, talks about how you know he has such a big frame. You see the number uh, for his weight, and you would think that he has a lot of excess weight, but everybody says it's just pure muscle, and it's coming because he has like this big weightlifting background on top of uh, his basketball background. So I'm really excited for him, just like you said. His I don't want to get too redundant and going over the things that you said, but his ability to pass pass rush, maybe stop the run uh, on early downs, and then I think that much strength, that much athleticism, there's just no way he's not going to be able to uh, see the field, and I think it couldn't come at a better position and at a better time when we're losing all this talent uh, on that at that position group. Yeah. So when we go into our last category, and this is our who we're most excited to see, um, when I look at who I am most excited to see out of this year's recruiting class, it's a four-star wide receiver, Jermaine Burton. Um, this was a huge get for Georgia, flipping him from LSU on the early signing day. When you look at the way that Georgia is trying to transform its offense, the hiring of Todd Munkin, the recruitment of Jamie Newman, the dual-threat quarterback from Wake Forest, the signing of a bunch of wide receivers in this year's class, and flex position-type players like Arian Smith and Darnell Washington. When you look at a guy like Jermaine Burton, it really shows the kind of transformation that Kirby Smart is trying to instill in his philosophy at Georgia. Um, Jermaine Burton, just looking at his uh, measurables, he's a six-foot-one-and-a-half 190-pound wide receiver. He runs the 40 in a 4-4-3. That's elite speed. That's elite speed. And it's something that we need at Georgia on the outside. You look at his evaluation, and they say he's a very tough physical player, loves to block, 
plays a nice edge in his game. That right there stands out to me. Someone who can see the field early because he loves to block. He's going to work hard in his blocking. And that's something, like Austin said, that really translates well with Kirby Smart and leads to early playing time. George Pickens got on the field early last year because he was a tenacious blocker who blocked with physicality and made impact blocks in the run game. And also because he was a star wide receiver and made insane catches. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that didn't hurt. (laughs) But when you look at Jermaine, he can bully opposing corners. He can run by DBs. He can get on you fast. But if you want to play him physical, he can make tough catches. He's got good hands. You see it in his film. You see it in his measurables. His, His comparison in the NFL is Jarvis Landry. That's not a bad comparison when you really look at it. Jarvis Landry is the top 15 wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, he's an impact player for the Browns. And if Jermaine Burton can be that type of player for uh, Georgia and can really provide another blanket for Jamie Newman and help translate this Georgia offense into the next stage and really help us put up points and yards, I mean, you have to be excited for him. And that's every single reason why I've laid out is why I'm excited for him. And can't wait for him to get on campus and wear the red and black. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, kind of go in the same direction. Uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna, my favorite player, or not my favorite player, but the player I'm most looking forward to is Marcus Rosimi, uh, another wide receiver. And I think this kind of points to the fact of, like last year I feel like wide receivers are our weakest, weakest position group. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like our often, uh, like our training our training staff, our coaches, and uh, our recruiting uh, staff, they noticed that. And so they went out and got a ton of wide receivers. And now I feel like we have a development of like just like so much talent there at that position where I was like, who who's going to play out of all of these guys? And I just have an affinity for wide receivers who seem like they have short area quickness and have really good hands. I think those are the two most important skills for a wide receiver to have. Because I think short area quickness translates to be the ability to get open. And obviously good hands leads to the ability to catch the football. And really at the end of the day, that's all I'm looking for out of my wide receivers. Do not care about yards after the catch. If you have the ability to catch any like a poorly thrown pass, mm-hmm. which there's a decent bit of in college football, mm-hmm. and you have had the ability to get open when in college football quarterbacks don't have as good vision, I just think that that – I think those are the two like biggest skills for a wide receiver. And not, I'm not going to be comparing him to these guys. Like obviously he's not these guys. But when you look at some of the best wide receivers of all time, Jerry Rice was known for his hands. He had a four six forty. That's not absolutely outstanding uh, for a wide uh, wide receiver. But he had an elite uh, short area quickness. He had the ability to have really good route running, which is also a correlation between short area quickness. Steve Largent, a Seattle Seahawk. Go Hawks. (laughs) He was known for his route running and great hands. And then you just look, Antonio Brown, like hopefully he doesn't have the the mental side of uh, his play style. Lord knows we don't want that. But he doesn't have like elite uh, like measurables. Besides, I mean, he has really good route running and has really good hands. So that's that's why I I feel like I already have an early affinity for uh, Marcus Rossini and why I think I might like – it wouldn't surprise me if he separates himself from this pack, maybe not this year, but in the next three years, if he ends up being the guy who's drafted first out of all these guys, like excluding George Pickens. Uh, yeah. 
Marcus Rossimi is definitely another guy. I went back and forth with him about most excited. I went back and forth with a lot of these players with most excited. I really think, like I said, to start it off, Kirby Smart really nailed this year's class. He went out. He saw the needs at positions. We had needed defensive line. We had needed wide receiver. We had needed offensive line. And he knocked it out of the park, signing four top wide receivers, signed Jalen Carter, signed the elite-level offensive lineman with Broderick Jones, Tate Ratledge, guys like that. We're at the point where we're recruiting the best players, but we're getting the best players at positions of need, which can only help us build towards the ultimate goal, which is winning a national championship. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. Uh, just to uh, segue into our next like little category that we have, this is going to be a quick little thing, but me and Ty decided that we wanted to do uh, four predictions for this upcoming season. Uh, two that we felt like were more realistic, maybe a little bit ambitious, but definitely more realistic, and then two bold predictions for the upcoming season. We haven't uh, went over these with each other, uh, so I'd be interested to see if we have any of the same ones. I feel like uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we have some similar uh, in the realistic category, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we definitely have two very different bold predictions uh, for this. So uh, what's your first realistic prediction for this season? So kind of building off the theme we've had the last few minutes here, I think the additions of Todd Monken and the threats that are brought in in this year's recruiting class with Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rossemi, Darnell Washington, um, Arian Smith, another name we didn't even mention who could provide a spark in return game and also in the receiving core. I think the additions of the Todd Monken and those guys, along with the changing philosophy with the running backs we have, the offensive line we have, and the quarterback that I really think is not getting enough respect nationally for the season he put up at a school like Wake Forest – um, I think that that is going to translate into a top 15 offense for Georgia this year. I don't want to get too crazy and say we're going to be top five, um, maybe fringe top 10, but I definitely going to think we're going to be top 15. I think we're going to average around somewhere around 32, so, somewhere so, around So them. you're saying in points per game or yards Yeah, per in game? points per game. Points per um, game. I definitely think we're going to be respectable. Um, and with the defense that we're going to bring back, which I think is going to be the best defense in the country, with the defense that's coming in, I think a top 15 offense is going to be good enough. So that's that That would be my first prediction, that the changes in our philosophy of coaching staff and recruitment is really going to shed some of the frustrations we had last year with Georgia's offense, where we really struggled to score and ultimately led to our downfall in big games. Okay. Wow, so I feel like, you're, uh, I feel like your realistic uh, prediction is – just as, if not more bold than my bold predictions. <laughs> uh, I do not see us having the top 15 uh, offense. Just, I mean, almost not a, as an indictment against us, but maybe more so because of uh, some of the offenses in like conferences like the Big 12 and uh, Pac-12. Uh, so my first one, not to totally crap on what yours uh, just was. I'm sorry that that's the way that seemed. Uh, my first one is that Georgia will win the East again. So uh, pretty tame, but... Uh, I do think that that is up for debate this year with Florida uh, on the rise. Uh, I actually see most riders and experts seem like they're picking Florida to win, and I've even seen us finishing third in uh, some behind Tennessee. That's bold. Uh, Yeah, especially for Tennessee's schedule this year. I feel uh, they have LSU, Bama, us, and Florida. Uh, Yeah. I mean, not even not even to hate on them. That's just like an awful like uh, schedule right there. Uh, So yeah, I think that 
The game against Florida will be close. I think that's a toss-up. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more nervous for them than you are. Uh, yeah. But I just I do uh, I think that Dan Mullen is a great coach. I think that they're going to have a good offense. I think Kyle Trask is a really good quarterback. But I do think that once again, just the sheer level of talent that we have. Uh, a lot of people talk about all the talent we lost, but I feel like they lost a pretty good bit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that this might be the last year where. To me, it feels kind of like a, a foregone conclusion that that we might beat them. Uh, I'd, I'd feel like 85% positive that we're going to beat them. So, and besides that, I mean, the really only loss in SEC play that I could see us having would be Bama. Uh, I'm conditioned to where growing up, uh, it seems like we beat Auburn year in and year out, yeah. except in the years <laughs> that they win the national championship. So, unless uh, they're vying for the national championship at the end of the year, I feel pretty confident uh, in well, when we play them. Yeah, I, I definitely like that point. I definitely think that the gap is closing in the grand scheme of things with Florida. This year, I did think I do think with our recruiting classes, the players they lost versus the players we lost, and our additions and guys who were just really young on our team who are going to be coming back and playing bigger roles. I think the gap maybe widened a little bit between 2019 and 2020. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, I will budge a little and say Dan Mullen is doing a good job. He's bringing that program back. I don't think he's at the level that we're at right now. I do think we're still the clear favorite, and it would be an ultimate letdown if we didn't make it back to the SEC East or the SEC Championship game in Atlanta. But I I will budge and say this might be one of the last years that I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that we will be playing in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. so what uh, was your uh, second prediction? So when I look at my next prediction, it, it's kind of building off of my first prediction, and that is that George Pickens will become the first 1,000-yard receiver at UGA since Terrence Edwards in 2002. Um, this has a lot to do with just looking at the production that George had as a true freshman in an offense that a lot of times struggled to move the ball, um, could never get a run game going, and wide receivers just struggling to get open outside of George and having no real second threat. Um, when you look at his stats this year, he had 49 catches for 727 yards and eight touchdowns. Um, you have to think with just reading between the lines and figuring that George is going to spread it out a little bit and run a more hurry-up throwing style system that can scheme wide receivers open and just the natural growth that George Pickens is going to have as a player. I don't think it's too far-fetched to expect George to add 230 yards. I think we're going to have a little bit more of a more of explosive offense and more explosive downfield passing game. So I definitely think that George could easily surpass, not easily, but surpass a thousand yards receiving this year. Well, yeah. I mean, and you got to think he was suspended for a half, uh, Mm -hmm. And then, like, at what point in that Georgia Tech was he uh, in that Georgia Tech game was he suspended? Was that early on in the third quarter? I want to say it was the third quarter. Yeah, so, and I, I, so and essentially, remember, he missed two halves. And if I remember correctly, yeah, he didn't play in the first half of the Tech game either for breaking rules. So, I mean, if he as long as he doesn't break rules and plays full games, I mean, so I mean, you you know, add a uh, one game to that total, and then like you said, the just. I feel like the biggest leap a player takes is uh, the leap from his first year to his second year. Uh, so I don't think that's – I mean, I would be surprised, honestly, if that didn't happen, uh, especially, with, like you said, like the scheme uh, looking like it's going to be a little bit more air raid this year under Monken. Uh So mine, uh, once again, 
is somewhat tame. I feel like we're going to finish with a top five defense in the country. Uh, and I'm saying that probably in – I think we're going to be up there in both yards allowed per game and in points allowed per game. I think we'll be floating in the top five for both of those categories. And, you know, I don't want to say the top defense because I feel like a lot of times that can just kind of – people use different statistics uh, – to paint, paint that picture, but I just think unanimously we will be looked at in the public eye as a top five defense. Uh, just like up there with like, you know, the way Utah was viewed this year, we reviewed. I just – I don't think there's that much separation in that top five, but I think we will be one of those top five teams. Yeah. I think that you, that just, that's just going to happen naturally when you look at the guys we bring back, when you have a coach like Kirby Smart. Year in and year out, I feel like we're going to be up there. As long as we're recruiting on the level and having guys who can scheme a defense and – really know how defensive side of football works like Kirby and all them. Well, yeah, I mean, and those young guys from last year getting older, Kobe Dean, Nolan Smith, I think they're going to be uh, higher impact players this year. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, Eric Stokes coming <clears> back. And, I mean, that was, like, so huge for our defense. And then I think some of the guys that we we got this year are going to come in and actually make an impact despite the uh, like overwhelming amount of riches that we have. Like Keely Ringo, I think <clears> we'll see the field. Kill Sherman, I think we'll see the field. Yeah. So when you add some of the guys we have coming in, and then we didn't really lose anybody, uh, except like right there along that defensive line, uh, which, like I said, I think we have some guys coming in that can fill those holes. Yeah. Uh, I think we're we're set up pretty good for this year on that side of the ball. Yeah. So when I look at my first bold prediction for this year's Georgia football season, I'm kind of going to continue steering it towards the offense. I think that Georgia's going to have a representative in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And I think it's going to be Zamir White. When you look at teams that traditionally run a spread type of offense, which that's not to say that that's what Georgia's going to be, but when you look at teams that really have a high-powered offense, you have to have a good running back and a good running game to be able to spread it out and be two-dimensional. Um, when you look at teams like Alabama, like Clemson, like Ohio State, we keep wanting to harp on in the beginning of this. Um, they have, year in and year out, they have elite-level running backs. You look at Clemson, they have Travis Etienne. They've had guys in the past who have really been stables for them. Um, Wayne Gallman in the national championship game a few years back. You have Alabama, and they just have a list of names. Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, Eddie Lacy. Guys who have made impacts at the next level and in college who have really helped them be the team that they are. And then you look at Ohio State, they have J.K. Dobbins, and they have arguably one of the NFL's best running backs, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, he won a national championship. You know I have to throw it in. But you look at what he did at Ohio State, he won a national championship while he's there. And he was really the bell cow for that offense, and that's somebody that I, something that I could see Zamir White being. I think he's going to be in the Heisman ceremony in New York, boldly predicting it. I think he's going to run for somewhere about 1,500 yards, and I would predict 15 touchdowns. And that's only to believe that the touchdowns, because when you have those explosive plays, not all of them are going to score. And when you get down inside the five, you got to feed the beast. I think we're going to feed Zeus. I think we're going to give him those touchdowns from five yards out, even though we might do all the work with the passing game. I think we're still, at the University of Georgia, we're still running back you, and we're still going to be known for the type of running backs and running games we produce. And that's why I'm predicting that Zamir will go to New York and represent UGA 
in Atlanta, in New York for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I mean, to your credit, I do feel like uh, a lot of times in the past we kind of lose out at the running back position because we have so much talent and we typically see so many split carries, uh, for instance, like Chubb and Michelle and then uh, with Gurley and Marshall. Uh, but I really don't think that that is going to be as much of the case this year. I, I do think that there is going to be a clear number one back. I think it would not surprise me if he, if Zeus gets – north of 75% of the carries this year. Uh, that's coming from me not seeing James Cook be on the field that much, but I feel like there's probably a reason that he's not on the field mm-hmm. that uh, that much. So, yeah, uh, to your credit, I, I do think that uh, I would be surprised, though, just con- considering it does look like we're going towards more of a uh, a, 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 a pass-first offense. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if, if Jamie Newman, if, if we ended up having the year that we want to have, if anybody was going to go, uh, not to completely steal yours, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Jamie Newman was just because of his ability to rack up yards on the ground and in the air, which traditionally in a Heisman uh, standing seems to carry a whole lot of weight. Uh, I feel like every quarterback who wins always has that ground aspect. Uh, but uh, my first one uh, – I feel like it's bold. Uh, you're probably definitely not going to agree with the initial aspect of it. Uh, so I think in week three, uh, when we go to Tuscaloosa to play Bama, I think we're going to get blown out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do not – I think from halftime on, it's not going to be close. Now, uh, now, sorry, I say I, I think that. That's the prediction I'm making. I, I do think we're going to lose that game. I don't think we're going to get blown out. But I'm going to predict that we're going to get blown out in that game but then come back and beat them in the ACC championship later on in the year to cast our uh, ballot into the playoff, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that's really just because I think with these new offensive additions, there might be uh, a little bit of a slow growth there that Jamie Newman might struggle with. All these We have all these incoming freshmen, these things that we're excited for, but they might take a little bit of time. Uh, before they really excel later in the season. So it wouldn't surprise me if we go in there and uh, we don't have a good showing on that side of the ball. Yeah. So I'm actually going to flip it a little bit. And for my final prediction, now you guys make sure you're holding on to your seats. Don't wreck your cars. And I know it's going to shock you. But I predict that Georgia is going to win every single regular season game by double digits, including September 19th in Tuscaloosa. Okay, yeah, there's no chance of that. <laughs> <laughs> Top number one, here, bear with me. Number one defense, improved offense. I, I really think that this is going to be the year we're going to put it together. We're going to have a complete season. We're not going to have those games where we have letdowns. I don't, I don't see it this year. Wait, so just to, just to clarify before you get going, because uh, I can see that look in your eye. Uh, do you mean just like regular season games? Or yeah, I think regular like season. If I'll we be... were in the SEC championship in the playoff, do you think that we're winning those by ten plus points too? Now, just like how crazy are we getting here? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. I mean, it depends on. I don't know what Clemson's gonna be like, but I do think. Oh, I do. Just <laughs> they're just, gonna be in the national championship. <laughs> just looking at our schedule and just looking at who we bring back and who we're playing, I think it plays out favorably. I think we're going to be playing with a chip on our shoulders against Alabama. We've had we've choked the last two times we've played them. We should have beat them by double digits, arguably twice when you look at it. I think we have been on their level and are at their level for the last few years. And I think this is the year we're finally going to show that we might be turning the corner and taking the mantle 
of the top dog in the SEC from Alabama. And that's why I think that we're finally going to play a full game against them and do it big. I mean, hey, yeah, that'd be sweet. I mean, I hope you're right. That'd be uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, so mine is uh, not going to compare to that. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't compare to one of your team predictions earlier. Uh, I said that Georgia will have – this is going to somewhat contradict uh, my last point. Uh but I'm just going to try to go in two different directions here, cover my basis, <laughs> uh, so maybe one of these predictions could be right. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Georgia will have the top offense in the SEC. Uh, I really I don't think that this is going to be like an offensive juggernaut season for uh, any team in the SEC. Uh, I think with like Tua leaving and Joe leaving, that no offense in the West is going to be like – absolutely crazy and I think in the east the, the main offense that we'd be competing with would be Florida uh, I mean with Kyle Trask leading I mean he, he has a chance to be the best quarterback uh, I mean in the east and in the SEC as a whole but despite what I think might be early season struggles it wouldn't surprise me if later in the season and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in a point per game uh, aspect because I really I don't know how our yards uh, will play out, but it wouldn't surprise me if we end up having the top scoring offense in the in the league by the end of the season. I would definitely love to see it. I would. I. It's long are the days where I wish have been like Georgia could be a top it like offense in the SEC. Well, yeah, I mean, and I just, it's really just in me thinking that this whole experiment that we're doing is either going to be a massive fail or it's going to be a massive success and. I mean, I think Mockin has a history of uh, revitalizing programs, especially uh, when it comes to passing. And then you have all these wide receivers who are coming in who are studs. You've got an established stud in George Pickens. And then you've got Zamir, who I think is going to have a breakout year after two years being recovered from that ACL. And you typically see such a jump in a player's second year uh, from their ACL injury. So, like I said, despite what I think might be some early season struggles, it wouldn't surprise me if at the end of the year if they have the top scoring offense in the SEC. One can only hope. And, I mean, if, if that were to be the case, you have to think my bold prediction would have some flair to it. I mean, I, I mean, hey, yeah, they go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, if that happens, then it definitely wouldn't surprise me. Uh, one can only hope. <laughs> well, fingers crossed for the top offense in the SEC. Um, but I believe that is going to do it for episode two of the podcast. Um, we'll be coming back to you sometime in the off season. If I had to put a timeline on it, I'd probably project G-Day. Yeah, probably um, after G-Day. Only because it's February. We're talking football. There's not a whole lot going on. So we hope to come back to you around G-Day. Um, it's going to be an exciting time in the Classic City, just like it always is. It'll be fun to get back down there and um, watch dogs between the hedges and get a little bit of glimpse of what the 2020 season is going to be like. So uh, we thank you guys all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Go dogs. Go dogs.